B. And this is Killer Reality, and we've made it to 2023. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Uh, yeah, I did nothing last night, but uh, go to bed. So, yeah, I didn't do midnight. anything exciting. I managed to stay up, you know, for midnight to watch the ball drop and all that uh, traditional stuff. And then almost immediately after that, it was night, night time. Yeah. Um, Timmy had to get up early for work. So, um, I usually go to bed at the same time he does, so I do not disturb. Well, that's very considerate of you. Thank you. I was watching Thousand Pound Sisters, though, because they had a marathon, and oh my God, those two are a hot freaking mess. I They're haven't watched mess. that show forever. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's bad. Uh, just as a forewarning, guys, my Frenchie is outside the door trying to scratch her way in here, and she will eventually bust open the door. And come in here and bark at uh, objects that don't move. So just be prepared. <laughs> She's not having it. She does not like I'm in here without her. So Separation anxiety. Yeah, but she's so cute. She deserves it. She is cute. <laughs> She's whining. It's funny. Okay. So today we have a true crime that uh, is actually a traveling serial killer. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't even get a heads up about what this one is, so it's going to be a surprise to me along with the others out there listening. Yep. Brandy knows nothing. 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 She don't know a thing well about this. <laughs> eh, maybe life in general, too. It's kind of up <laughs> in the air. Oh, okay. So let's get started before my dog busts on in here and makes all sorts of noise. So in 1928, three transient men were traveling by train all over the country. The train that they were on stopped in Nebraska, where a rail agent found the men and threw them off the train. The three men, Gordon Geiger, who was 18, James Burwald, who was also 18, and Jake Bird, who was 24, um, were the men that were thrown off the train. A fight ensued, and Geiger fell between two train cars. Um, the other guy was hit or bird actually was hit several times and Burwald took off running before Geiger could muster the strength to get up. The train actually started to move, crushing his leg and one of his hands. He was taken to a local hospital where he subsequently died due to blood loss. I had to suck being crushed uh, in between two train cars. Yeah. doesn't sound like very much fun. And the fact that it didn't immediately kill him, like talk about suffering. I'm yeah. sure that was a, a little beyond painful. Little beyond painful. I'm sure that was pretty horrific. So Bird wanted to see justice done for Geiger. He stayed in the area to testify at the trial. Bird moved to Omaha and worked odd jobs for money and warm places to stay. In November of 1928, the adult son of J.W. Blackman came home only to find his father dead and covered in blood. During the investigation, a bloody axe was found under a pile of wood in the backyard. 
The next day, a man named Waldo arrived home from work to find his wife, Gertrude, and her younger sister, Kreta, both dead in their beds. Both of their skulls were crushed, and there were two children ages nine months and three years old sleeping next to Gertrude in a crib. Both were unharmed. The nine-month-old had a bloody handprint on his face. Mm-hmm. I know. God, right? well, I'm glad the babies are okay, yeah, at least. Absolutely. Um, the day after the discovery of Gertrude and Krita, Harold Stribling and his wife were attacked. Harold was severely beaten, and Mrs. Stribling had a fractured nose after suffering a blow to her face. Mrs. Stribling begged the attacker to spare their 16-month-old child. The attacker agreed, opting instead to kidnap Mrs. Stribling. She was released a few hours later. I wonder why she got so lucky. I don't know. Um, But of course, that's not where it ends. So the attacker was identified three days later by Mrs. Stribling, and that man was Jake Bird. He was arrested. Yep. He was arrested, and he was only charged with the attacks on the Stribling's. He never was charged with the murders of black men or the sisters. Fearing Bird would be lynched by an angry mob. Do you know why they were fearing he would be lynched by an angry mob? Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, Because Jake Bird is a black man. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, He was moved to a prison in Lincoln, Nebraska, where he would serve a 30-year sentence. The NAACP became heavily involved in his case, um, just to make sure his civil rights were not being infringed upon, which, of course, was sure. a rational fear um, and still is today. So Bird stated he was innocent and several police officers testified on his behalf, stating he didn't fit the profile of the killer. Uh, in 1941, Bird was actually released from prison for good behavior. So how long was he in prison for? Um, let's see. So that was what, 28? I don't math to 41. Okay. So a hot minute. And a did minute. the killing stop during that time? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. In 1943, he was arrested again for robbery. He admitted to it and was sentenced to another four and a half to five years in prison. My guy, you've got to do better. <laughs> My guy, you need to find another profession. Uh, he actually, Bird was born in 1901 in a very small town in Louisiana. So small, in fact, he said it didn't even have a post office. He led a very troubled life. And at the age of 19, he became a transient worker, mostly sticking to the railroad where he traveled and did odd jobs in exchange for cash and places to sleep. In 1947, Bird reached the end of the line. Do you know where the end of the line for the railroad is? No, you're asking me to be smart right now, and I have no idea. Uh-huh. Uh, the end of the line is Tacoma, Washington. Is it really? It is. I mean, I guess that makes sense, because you go much further than that, you're going to end up in the water. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the railway does end in the port of Tacoma. <laughs> makes perfect sense, now that you bring it up. Yep. So, uh, he settled into Tacoma, and guess what he started doing? <laughs> Not robbing banks or killing people, I hope. Mm, Partially correct. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, He was on the hunt for a job, but instead he set his sights on a house that still stands today on 21st Street. Oh, another place we're going to have to go check out. Yeah, I almost did the other day, but then I got lazy and came home. So (laughs) then I thought, well, the next time I'm in Tacoma, which is five days a week, 
I should go uh, drive by it. But of course, I'll come up with another excuse and not actually go. So we need to come up with a little tour so we can go on that one. We can go look at the Bundy one where he lived. I'm not taking Serena though, because she'll look in the windows. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not trying to get killed by current homeowners or having the cops <laughs> no. called on me. I'm not cut out for that. No, not at all. So this home he set his sights on was owned by a woman named Bertha <clears throat> and her 17-year-old daughter, Beverly. Bird entered the home and he took off his shoes because he wanted to be stealthy. He then came across Beverly, killed her with an axe, and startled at the commotion and screaming of her mother, Beverly runs downstairs to help her mom, only to suffer severe bludgeoning to her head, and she died. Jesus, this guy, not only is he a killer, like, he is aggressive. He's very brutal. Very, very brutal. So neighbors were startled by the screaming. They called the police who arrived a little too late to the home to save either women. They did, however, see a man fleeing the home and they engaged in a pursuit on foot. Bird was eventually cornered in an alley on J Street. He is noted to be covered in blood and holding a weapon. Bird proceeded to attack the officer, stabbing one in the shoulder. And this officer, ironically, was nicknamed Tiny. And I'll give you one guess. Do you think he was tiny? No, I highly doubt it. No, he was a prize fighter and a very large man. So he decided, uh, I'm going to punch this motherfucker in the face. And he kicked him in the balls. And subsequently, that subdued him enough for him to be arrested. Hey, when all else fails, go for the balls. Go for the balls. Always the balls, guys. It's always the balls. Uh, the officers were taken to St. Joe's Hospital. St. Joseph's, for those of you who are not local. Never heard of that one before. Never. And Bird was actually taken to Tacoma General. And ironically, guys, that still happens today. The cops are taken to St. Joe's and the suspects are taken to TG. Why is that? Is it because I, one is lesser than the other? I feel like as we hit Tacoma, the hospitals are not all equal. I don't think that TG, as far as being less medically relevant is a thing. I think it's just more, I mean, they're not even that far apart. So I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know why that is. Um, and I really personally don't like St. Joe's on the inside. It's very weird. It's a very it weird. It is kind of weird. It is. I mean, I um, haven't been in there for a while, but yeah, it's weird. Yeah. TG is very hospitally. St. Joe's is not very hospitally. I feel like. Yeah. So other officers entered the home and found Bertha age 52 um, and Beverly 17 dead. It appeared Bertha had evidence of attempted sexual assault prior to being killed. Gross. Yeah. Bird was taken to jail after being released from the hospital. And in his confession, he said the house seemed like an easy target. He found an axe in a shed, removed his shoes to be quieter and entered the home to rob it. He went into Bertha's bedroom and took $1.50 from her purse and then went to the kitchen where Bertha appeared behind him. A struggle ensued and both women were killed because, as we know, Beverly came down the stairs to save her mom and he took her out as well. Bird was charged with first-degree murder and Bertha's death. He pleaded not guilty and the trial was set for a month later in November of 1947. They did not fuck around back then. Hold on, hold on a second. Didn't he confess... Mm -hmm. And then he pled not guilty. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. Already then. Yep. The defense entered a motion for a change of venue and to let Bird represent himself. And the judge was like, nah, we're not going to do that. 
So uh, jury selection was slow due to media involvement. The fucking media, even back then, was involved in everything. Ruins everything. Yep. And of course, the fact that he was black was slowing everything down. So they had to make sure they were finding people that uh, were, quote unquote, not prejudiced towards... Sure. Black people. Makes sense. Yep. So ultimately, nine men and three women were chosen for the trial. The trial lasted a day and a half. That's it? A day and a half? Day and a half. Some of the evidence presented was that blood and brain matter were found on his clothes. Ew. His shoes were left at the scene, and a bloody fingerprints were found at the home and on the axe. Uh, Eyewitnesses report um, the interaction of the two injured police officers that saw him fleeing the scene and gave chase. So, of course, you have the two cops saying, no, this is the dude that took off from the house. So the evidence was pretty damning. Yeah, Uh, I mean, especially if you're leaving your shoes behind. Um, Exactly. And that's funny that you mentioned that because that was going to be one of my questions. Did dude get his shoes on the way out? Nope, he sure didn't. He took off and left them behind. So two different officers admitted in court that they beat Bird while in custody because when asked why he did it, Bird first denied it and then said it was another black man in Tacoma named Leroy. Okay. Yeah. Well, good luck finding a dude named Leroy in Tacoma. (laughs) (laughs) The officer was so disgusted by his lying that he beat the shit out of him. Not a good idea. Not Not a a good good idea. idea at all. Nope. So the prosecution moved to enter Bird's confession of the murders, but the defense countered and said the confession was obtained under duress, meaning the cop beat the shit out of him and he confessed to get them to stop beating him. Right. Uh, The judge allowed the original confession and the jury deliberated 35 minutes and came back with a guilty verdict. 35 minutes. 35 minutes. So on December 6th, the bird was sentenced to death by hanging. A new trial was requested and denied. The sentence was ordered to be carried out on January 16th, 1948. (laughs) What a magical day. What a magical day that January 16th. (laughs) Yep. You have uh, your special day coming up here soon. On January 16th. I know. And it's a national holiday. Oh, is it? It is. It's, which which one is it? It's Martin Luther King Day. I've, oh my God, I'm horrible. Jesus. I've shared that day with him forever. Um, we all know, really, it's my day, not really his. So uh, anyway, uh, the government has made it a national holiday and just named it something else. I can't believe, I'm going to blame it on it being 8.30 in the morning. Like that was a totally special <laughs> brain lapse over here. Unbelievable. That's okay. Dude does deserve his own day, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, he was sentenced to hang uh, on my birthday, except I was not around yet. And Bird's own defense attorney declared that he was a detriment to society and should be obliterated. Oh, my goodness. Right? So Bird countered after he made that comment. He said anyone that had anything to do with his punishment was getting the hex of Jake Bird placed on them. He (laughs) proclaimed, and mark my words, he says, You will die before I do. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. No one paid much attention to him because really that just sounds like nonsense. Until people associated with the trial started dropping dead. What the hell? (laughs) That's some bad juju right there because this guy's obviously in jail at this point, right? It's not like some cases today where they let you roam free. Yep. Nope. He, uh, He is in jail and six people subsequently died. 
Wow, he's got some magical powers. Well, he is from Louisiana. Oh, okay. Voodoo. Voodoo. (laughs) The first to die was the judge. He died of a heart attack. Then the defense attorney, the officer that took his confession, the officer that wrote the report, followed by the court clerk. They all dropped dead from heart attacks. Goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Bird was sent to death row in Walla Walla. And during his stay at Walla Walla, he confessed to the murders of 44 people throughout the country, including an eight-year-old boy. Eleven open cases were closed based off his confession, and he ultimately killed people across 11 states. He was busy. He was a busy dude. So he was sent to, let's see, uh, oh, before he was sent to the gallows, he willed his life savings to his appeals attorney, which was $6.15. Today, that's about 75 bucks. Oh, so they didn't get rich or anything by any means. But no. hey, you know what? Very generous of this guy. Very generous after killing 44 people. He was taken to the gallows at Walla Walla in 1949. Uh, so a year after he was supposed to be hung, he was actually hung. And he is buried in the prison cemetery. And the cemetery marked is, uh, the marker is 21520. That was his inmate number. So we could go today and go to the cemetery and find his grave. Except I'm not driving to Walla Walla. Yeah, it's not uh, not that appealing. No. Um, and there were actually 125 witnesses present at his hanging. That's a lot of people present. That is a lot of people. It's crazy how uh, times have changed just listening to this, how short the trial was, how short jury deliberation was, how fast-tracked everything was, whereas today it will drag out for years and for years. years. Well, I mean, look at Darlie Routier, right? Or Rotier, however we're pronouncing it. Um, she's still on death row mm-hmm. from, what, 1996? Yeah, it's crazy how times change. Yeah. So in 1991, a criminologist wrote about Bird and how he challenged the modern thinking that serial killers were all white males. Um, until the 1970s, Jake Bird was actually the most prolific serial killer in the United States. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. The FBI was so stuck on profi- profiling serial killers as white males, they missed the boat initially on profiling the Atlanta child murder case. Um, they then concluded the only possible killer could be a black man. A white male would not be able to move undetected in these neighborhoods in Atlanta. Um, they concluded that serial killers tend to uh, kill intraracially as opposed to interracially, which I challenge that because Dahmer, Gacy, um, just those two alone were killing um, everybody. Well, a lot of Asian men, a lot of black men, mm-hmm. and Dahmer and Gacy were white. So, you know, I guess it just depends on your serial killer and what their fetish actually is, right? Sure. So, so back then, maybe that was, you know, how things were back during Bird's time. Yep. Um, the media treated Wayne Williams, the Atlanta child murder guy, um, as the only black serial killer to ever exist when that wasn't the case at all. Uh, serial killers are very diversified across every ethnic background, um, and black serial killers account for 20% of all the serial killers in the U.S., um, and it, interestingly enough, it's only the white serial killers that become popular. And no one's really ever heard of Jake Bird. 
I was going to say, I've never heard of him before. Of course, heard of, you know, Gacy, Dahmer, all them. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I've never heard of Mr. Bird. There's another uh, black serial killer that's from the Seattle area that we're going to talk about too. And nobody knows who he is. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty interesting, huh? It is interesting, especially when they're hitting close to home. Very close to home. As a matter of fact, if I go out today, I will take a little trip down 21st Street. Nice. I know. And then go by Bundy's house. And then I should go by Ridgeway's house. There's too many serial killers for me to drive by, (laughs) y'all. Right? Um, (laughs) Washington State, your quality of people is questionable. Oh, yeah. There is a serial killer loose in Spokane, too. What do you mean? There's one loose in Spokane? No, not currently. Well, I mean, there could be. I don't know. But not that we know of. Yeah. So um, while we're on the case of true crime, I'm sure everybody's heard by now that they have a suspect in custody for the alleged murders of the Moscow college students. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I know we had talked about this, that my thought was, of course, we don't know this, but I thought they were trying to be too narrow and the media was portraying Moscow as this little tiny town, which it is. But the media forgot to tell everybody that it's right next door to Pullman, Washington, which is where the campus of WSU is. Right. And I always had thought that that killer had something to do or being involved with something at WSU because the population is just too big there for them to exclude. And it's 15 minutes away from each other. Right. The University of Idaho and WSU is 15 minutes away. Like... If they were not looking at suspects in Pullman, then they're dumb. Yeah, which clearly they were. Um, clearly, yeah. And I would just like to say, uh, obviously, you were correct in your thought. You should probably be a detective, profiler, something along those <gasps> lines. I should. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this guy, I know innocent until proven guilty, but whomever did it, they're, I mean, awful, first of all. And uh, naturally in the news, he's confident he's going to be vindicated and so on and so forth. What I thought was interesting is how one of the first questions he asked was, was anybody else arrested? Mm -hmm. I don't think one person could have killed these four as savagely as they did by themselves. Yeah, you would think because somebody's going to hear screaming and a struggle and then you have so many people in that house, right? You would think they'd be able to overtake one person or somebody would be able to escape while all this is going down. Yeah. So it definitely makes you wonder why he asked that question. Who else may have been involved with you? Mm -hmm. Um, And he had said that he was traveling, I believe, with his father. Yeah. Did daddy help you? (laughs) I know it's, this is all just, I, and this is what I really didn't want to talk about this yet because there's so much unknown information, you know? Um, Right. So I feel like until we find more out that, you know, just talking about it's kind of useless. Sure, but it still gets your wheels going, makes you curious and wonder. Absolutely. I just thought I'd bring that up because I thought it was funny that the news was portraying Moscow as some isolated little village out in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, which that is not the case. I mean, the population is huge, especially when school is in, because Mm -hmm. you have two massive universities right next to one another. Makes sense. Makes sense. So time will tell, guys. So I thought you'd like that little story about another local serial killer. 
Yeah, it makes me question where I live, um, you know, <laughs> taking into consideration all the other serial killers that are from here or have been here. Yep. Um, another interesting thing about Jake Bird is he actually went all the way from Florida. So, I mean, he traveled the entire country killing people. Literally cross country. Literally cross country and doing it on a train where back in the 40s, you were literally undetected. Did he ever have or give like a reason of why, not that there's a valid one, but oftentimes they have reasons of, you know, in their minds of why they do things like this. Did he ever give a reason? No, like in the case of Bertha and Beverly, it was, it started out as he was just going to rob them. And then when Bertha saw him um, in there, because she actually, I guess he was in the kitchen after he took the money from her purse and she appeared behind him. And when she appeared behind him, he turned around and he saw her and, um, you know, obviously probably thinking, well, she's a witness. Mm -hmm. So now I need to take her out, not knowing Beverly was in the house. And then, of course, Beverly comes down and she gets whacked too. But, you know, I looked at pictures of him and he's not a big man. So I would think, because he looks kind of scrawny to me. Mm-hmm. I would think that you would have to have some serious strength, especially to bludgeon people, because that's exhausting work. Makes and sense. Hitting a skull is, you know, obviously, if you turn the axe around, um, you know, there's a little bit more force and you can definitely incapacitate someone instantly. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it j- it's just weird that he chose that method. Yeah, like I said, super aggressive, um, extremely aggressive and violent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Craziness. Craziness. It's so- scary to think that there's people out there amongst us that are capable of things like this. And, you know, who knows how many times we walk by somebody who could be a serial killer or a potential serial killer. Um People, you scare me. <laughs> well, it's like I've said before, you know, people that um, I think I said it on one of the earlier podcasts, people around here, they have family members, especially women that interacted with <clears throat> Bundy. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my own family, I have people that interacted with Ridgeway, obviously knowing uh, him before they knew he was, you know, the Green River killer. Well, I hope they didn't know him, you know, while he was the killer. Yeah. uh, Somebody in the family actually worked with him. Jeez. Yep. Actually worked with him. And um, I guess he lived over in the Mm Auburn-ish area. Yeah. Somewhere over there. So Yeah. I think like the West Hill of Auburn Mm -hmm. over in that area. Yep. So pretty crazy um, that you run into people that are like, oh, yeah, my mom was out in Sammamish that day and her and her friend were talking to Bundy and, you know, so it's part of me wants to have like a cool story like that to share. Like, oh, yeah, you know, one time I interacted with this person. But then on the other hand, excuse me, it probably would have been my luck that I would have been the one killed by that person. You know, because that's how things work out for me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, like for me, white van, no windows, but you put a thing up that says, you know, free booze and Frenchie puppies and you got me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. I'd absolutely be that person like, oh, I have puppies for sale or I have free puppies. You want to come look at them? Yes. Of course I do. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Give me puppies. Puppies and booze. You have me. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. So although I am very untrusting of any white van, even if it has windows, I'm like, oh, mm-mm. <laughs> you're either a rapist or a killer or both. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as you don't have booze or puppies, we're good, bro. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's all I got. That was a quick one today, guys. That was a quick one. Yeah. Figured we'd start the new year off with a uh, a simple one that people can listen to on their commute back to work. That's a mean thing to say. I know. Back I'm to sorry. Work. Those are some dirty words. I know. At least I have tomorrow off. Me too. Woo. So <laughs> anyway. Funny how we work for the same company naturally. Oh, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yes, people, we do work for the same company. That's how we know each other. Yeah, that's how we met and uh, became friends. And then the the rest is history. The rest is history. And now here we are entertaining you. <clears throat> and you know, it just struck me as crazy. Do you know how long we've known each other? I think it's going on, I want to say like 12 years. Yeah, it's been a minute. A hot Aww. minute. Thank you, work, for introducing me to Miss Kim. To the love of your life. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody will ever take that away from you, Kimmy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, y'all. Have a fantastic new year, and we will talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.